recently connected with an old friend of mine, Margaret, who I knew over 50 years ago from a small town in Pennsylvania. And we both live in Chandler now. She's lived here for many years. I lived here for 21 years. And she invited me to come to a church called Cornerstone. And I'm ashamed to say that I didn't go to church regularly for 38 years. And I thought, well, why not? I'll try it. And we're standing in church and we're looking at each other and we're saying, this is strange. We haven't seen each other for almost 50 years, and we're both living in Chandler now, and we're both coming to Cornerstone. This is God's work. I'm so grateful that God brought Margaret back into my life and also brought us both to Cornerstone. I'm just so grateful for my church. Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? So good to see you here. Uh, that is Joyce, and uh, Joyce is one of the great volunteers here at Cornerstone. She has served as an usher and a greeter for three years, but, but isn't that an amazing story that a friend from over 50 years ago uh, from, where, where was it, Pennsylvania? They're reunited here in Chandler, Arizona, and, and just a, an unbelievable story that she had been away from church for 30 years and uh, we have the honor and the privilege of being just a part of how God worked in her life um, to bring her back to himself. And so she, she started coming to Cornerstone. She was baptized here. She became a member here. Her friend who was already attending followed in Joyce's footsteps and, and began to do the, uh, join the same, same way that Joyce did. Uh, but something you don't know about Joyce, uh, months and months ago, maybe even a year ago, we... Um, we're asking for some help around the office at Cornerstone, and, and she volunteered. And so on a weekly basis, Joyce is in the office. She's helping us out. She's doing different things. Uh, I, she's like my mama, Joyce. She gives me the hug every day I see her in the office. And so she's just a, a sweet, sweet, sweet lady, but um, such a servant's heart and so willing to just do whatever needs to be done. And we're grateful that there are hundreds of Joyce's doing different things that nobody ever sees. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for giving of your time to all of you who serve. Yeah, we can, we can do that. We can give it up. Anyone else here shocked that it's Thanksgiving already? Unbelievable. Uh, we have a special Thanksgiving gift. Um, for most of you would know that our daughter Kate has been fighting a, a brain tumor for two and a half years. Uh, this past Tuesday, we got a scan, and it, we had really good results from the MRI scan that she got, and so we wanted to thank God for that. The battle is not over, but what we're learning is to rejoice and to celebrate even the small steps all along the way. And I want to just thank you guys for your prayers. Thank you for, for enduring with us uh, before God in prayer, believing that he is a God who still can do miracles. And he uses doctors and nurses and modern medicine to do things. And so we're still praying and believing that God can do um, a, a miracle for Kate. And we're grateful for every step along the way. Um, Holly and I, we went to a, a funeral, um, a, a friend's mother this past Friday, and we're sitting at the funeral, and, or a memorial service, and, and I was listening to them talk about the life of this woman, and, and she's 60, 60-some 60 years old, and they were describing her 
And she just sounded, she sounded too good to be true. I'm like, come on now, seriously? This is like, can she really be like that kind of a woman? But they're just talking about her, her determinism and, and her faith in God, even when she was fighting cancer and it was going so horribly and she was in so much pain that she still was faithful and, and trusting God and hoping and, and ministering to other people and, and just talked about this feistiness that she had. And, it was so weird because I was sitting there and, and, and thinking about Kate and, and thinking, you know, she's seven, this lady's like 60, whatever. But she, Kate, Kate has that same feistiness, that same just determinism, and that same kind of, honestly, faith that she just believes. She just believes. And, and it's not always explainable, but it's real. Um, the husband of this woman got up and he said, if you didn't know my wife, you may be sitting here thinking, you guys are exaggerating. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm thinking that right now. And he's like, I'm just telling you, we're not exaggerating. We're not even speaking of how great of a woman she really is. And it reminded me of this story that I read, um, I reread this week, and I'm going to share it at the very end of the sermon, but there's one line that just captivated me that I kept thinking about. And the line is this, we don't know what to do with people like her. We don't know what to do with people like her. People that, that go through these trials, that go through these setbacks, and yet remain joyful and full of hope. We don't know what to do with people who have very, very hard paths in life, yet they still are full of faith, and they're still believing God is in control, and they're still trusting that God is going to use even the bad to bring about good. We don't know what to do with those kind of people. We don't have a box. We don't have a category that we can put them in all the time. And so what I'm wanting us to do today is, is in light of this idea of grateful, as I'm kicking off this brand new series, to, to just say there, there's something that happens when God begins to work in an individual's life, but specifically today, corporately, in our lives together. And, and one of my hopes and one of my prayers is that we would be people, that others would look at us and say, we don't know what to do with people like you. The way that you love, the way that you treat others, the way that you take a stand for, for righteousness, the way that you help those who are in need. We don't know what to do with people like you. And that we would be able to simply say, it's not about us. It's about who Christ is and what he has done in our lives. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a, is a very interesting uh, chapter of the Bible because it's, it's a transition period. This is a time of transition in Scripture. Um, Acts chapter 1 is basically recounting Jesus has come back from the dead. He's been crucified, but he, he rises from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, he begins to show himself to, or, or it's another story of how he shows himself to people. But he gives this um, commission to his disciples. There's about 120 disciples, and Jesus gives them a commission and says, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to go from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea to the ends of the earth. I want you to go out there and tell them about me. And then shortly after this, they watch as Jesus ascends into heaven. And they're not sure what to do because they don't have Jesus with them any longer. But in the first part of Acts chapter 2, the promise that Jesus had given them earlier comes true. They um, are, are missing Jesus and having a prayer meeting, and in the midst of that prayer meeting, God sends the Holy Spirit on them. They begin to speak and have this, this sermon as well that erupts into this like crusade event where Peter speaks up and the Holy Spirit is using him, and he preaches his very first sermon. And in this sermon, God uses him powerfully, and at the end of the sermon, 
3,000 people are saved. Sounds like a pretty good sermon to me. Billy Graham-esque. And at the end of the sermon, the church, the, the believers that were 120 people, just a small group, are now 3,120 people. God was doing something in their midst. So all of a sudden, they were a very, very small ministry. And the next thing you know, they're this big group of people. And I was just thinking about some of the similarities that, that maybe they would have there, the church at Acts, with us today, with the, the size of who they are, the, the reality that God is moving in their midst. God is doing something that only he could get credit for. In, in many ways, even though Cornerstone is 16 years old, look around this room. We're still pretty young. We're, we're still pretty young. A lot of us young people in our faith, just like the church in Acts. Both churches, the church in Acts and Cornerstone, we have a lot of really cool beards around. Uh, both are full of potential. Both are, there's just a ton of energy when gathered together. But you do know this, lots of people presents lots of obstacles, right? I mean, if you tried to get around the road construction and all that kind of stuff, you're like, yeah, there's obstacles around here today. Lots of obstacles. And, and, and maybe, maybe I'll burst your bubble, and, and sorry if I do that, but just let you in on something. Cornerstone is not a perfect church. Not a perfect church. The church in Acts wasn't a perfect church. And what's happening here is not a description of how to do church. What, it, what is going on here, Luke begins to show us some of the foundational elements, some of the key ingredients that helped them be who God had called them to be. And I want to sort of break it down and talk through the four things today. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, let's read um, verses 42 through 47 as we begin. The Bible says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's just talk first of all about what's going on. What's the experience if you're around this? Uh, Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke. He's also the writer of Acts. And Acts is sort of Luke part two. And so Luke is saying, here's what's going on. In the midst of this move of God, everyone was filled with awe. They were in, in wonder and amazement at what God was doing. There was just this sense of anticipation and expectation that something was going on and God was moving. It says wonders and signs were being done. Just miraculous things were, were going on. You can read in the next chapter that, that Peter, that he's walking through and this man is, is poor and he's, he's lame and he's saying, please, please, please give me some money. I, I'm in need, help me. And, and Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this man who was lame and laying on the ground for year after year after year gets up and walks. And so Peter begins to do these miracles and, and, and others are doing these miracles and nobody can explain what's going on. But, but listen, it wasn't just those kind of miracles. It was also the kind of miracles that we experience here. It was men and women who finally meet Jesus Christ and they realize Jesus Christ forgives of 
all of our sin. He washes us clean. He gives us a new start. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that, that we experience all the time around here at Cornerstone. That By trusting in Christ, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past. He can set us free. That's a miracle. There's miracles of people who have been addicted and struggled to something year after year after year, and God has set them free. That's a miracle. There are men and women sitting in this room right now. Your marriage was over for all intents and purposes, and God reconciled you together. That's a miracle. There's families that have been restored, and there are in this room people who have been healed because of the power that God has, because he's a God who still does what he's always done. Everyone was filled with awe. Signs and wonders were being done. Every need was being met. That means poor people were being helped. Hungry people were being fed. Lonely people were finding friends. That was going on there. There was joy and gladness and simplicity. It wasn't full of complaining and selfish people. It was people who were joyful in what God was doing. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. This is what was going on. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be in. A church where God is moving and stirring the hearts of the people and the people are responding and we're experiencing all that God has for us. And here's the good news. God is doing some of these very same things. And for that, I just want to stop this morning and say, I am grateful. I am thankful that God has saved some of you recently, that God has restored some of your marriages in the last couple of months. I am so thankful that God is still moving in the hearts of, of people around Cornerstone. But, but I want to say... Let's not be content with where we're at. Neither let us get caught in complaining and criticizing and saying, well, they should do this when God has called us to be part of the solution. Verse 42 starts off and it says this, they devoted themselves. Who's they? This is what's interesting. For, for somebody who's been a pastor for a very long time, it's astounding. And as crazy as it is, here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 are saved. 3,000 are baptized. 3,000 continue. They're devoted. They follow. For those of you who are slow with math, that is 100%. That means they didn't just meet Christ and follow him in baptism. They obeyed him in every area of their life. That's shocking. That's a move of God. They endured to the end. They didn't just make a decision on some emotional service or whatever because Peter was such an eloquent speaker, which he was not. God radically changed their hearts and 3,000 people continued and they devoted themselves. And the scriptures say here, they basically devoted themselves to four things. And let's break it down. This is the four things they devoted themselves to. First of all is this, the apostles' teaching. The apostles that are referred to here in Acts are, are men who were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. They, most of them knew him and followed him as disciples while he was here on earth, but specifically an apostle because that's why... Paul, will later be considered an apostle, is an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. 
And so if you were to take, and, and, and I encourage you to do this this afternoon, go back and read Acts chapter 2 in the sermon that Peter preaches. And Peter begins by preaching, and, and he's telling them about Old Testament prophets, and he's showing how Jesus came and fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. He's referring to King David and telling them how, how Jesus is in the line of King David. And then he makes a beeline and gets right to Jesus and talks about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he fulfilled all of Scripture. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the Word of God, to these men who were given their lives at this point, to telling about Jesus Christ and his resurrected life and what that means for us. And here's the deal. It wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't just information. When Peter preached this sermon, something very interesting happens. Towards the end of the sermon, he doesn't give an invitation. He doesn't give one of those, hey, who wants to be saved? Come forward. Here's what happens. He finishes his sermon, and the Bible says the people were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit of God began to convict their hearts. And they asked on their own accord. They asked, what should we do? It wasn't a bunch of information, facts about who God is, who Jesus is, and then they just went on their way. They didn't just hear the word. They heard. They responded by allowing the word of God to come in, and they changed their lives. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, not just if you know about me, but if you hold to it, cling to it, see that, that the scriptures are life themselves. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Verse 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what? Free. If you know the truth. And it's not talking about head knowledge. Again, it's no, it's, it's deeper. It's an experiential understanding, a grasping of who he is. There's an intimacy involved. If you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This weekend, I did a little informal survey around my house with the McCray kids. And uh, two out of three McCray kids are grateful for their church because their church teaches them about Jesus. I don't care about all the other stuff. If we get that right, I'm a proud father. I don't care about all the bells and whistles if we don't get the teaching them about Jesus part right. But as they shared that, and both of my girls said that last night, I just began to say, I'm so thankful to the men and the women sitting in this room right now who teach our children the scriptures. I'm so thankful that you give of your time and you give of those abilities, even if it's just sitting there so the teacher can make it clear. You spend time with our kids so they can get Jesus. I'm so thankful for those of you who, you lead a Bible study down this hallway or you lead a, a small group of others. You, you, you help a men's and women's Bible study, whatever, in, in teaching the word of God because what we have to say is if we miss that part, we miss it. And, and the early church is devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I just want you to say, hear me say, Cornerstone is devoted to teaching the word of God. We are people of the word. We, we hold this in, in such high authority because we believe that God has given us his word, his truth. And that's why we have adult ministries. And that's why we have children's ministries and student ministries to teach all the generations the word of God. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. But it's not about passing some Bible trivia 
thing. It's not about Bible trivial pursuit. They've literally got that. You know that? The reality is this. My six-year-old son could beat a lot of you at Bible trivial pursuit. I mean, he's good, like crazy good. But there's some of you who know less than my son about the Bible, but you obey what you do know, and you're so much further along than he is right now. But he's just six years old. So let's give him a little credit, right? Let's not be too hard on the poor guy. It's not about how much you know. It's about what are you doing with what you know. I didn't even mean to say this. I wasn't planning on this, but here's a common criticism that sometimes churches get, especially big churches. I'm not being fed. Let me just give you one comment. If you're not feeding yourself first, you can never make that as a valid statement. The church isn't called to feed you. Our call is to teach you to feed yourself. And, and, and so that's, that's what happens. A lot of times that judgment is made only by a Sunday morning experience. But I just want to say, Cornerstone is a lot more than a Sunday, morning, Sunday experience. It's a lot more than just what happens when you come and sit in a purple chair. You can't judge Cornerstone solely based on what happens in this room once a week for you. You've got to be able to feed yourself. You personally, we personally have to be devoted to the teachings of Scripture ourselves. That's a call that God has on us to be devoted just like this church was devoted. Secondly, to be devoted to fellowship. Fellowship. The, the, the Greek word for fellowship is this word koinonia, and it means simply joint participation, joining in together and participating. It means sharing something in common. It's, it's not sitting on the bench. It's getting in the game. It's not sitting on the sidelines. It's being involved. It's, it's using the gifts and the talents that you have because Scripture tells us if you are a follower of Christ, you have divinely given gifts and talents that God wants you to use, not for your own benefit, but to be a blessing to others. That God would have you to be a part of a, of a local church so that you can use what you have and others can use what they have, and together we're whole. Together we're who God has called us to be. We're able to live the lives individually and corporately, that God has called us to live. My family has benefited from these gifts. Um, for most of my life and most of my ministry, it, I, I've been the one in ministry. I've been the one that, that had to say, okay, what are my gifts? How can I bless other people? For the last two and a half years, for large chunks of time, we've had to be the ones who are willing to say, we need help. We need help. And some of you have various gifts and talents, and I don't know if all of them are spiritual gifts, but I'm really thankful for those of you who have the gift of baking brownies. <laughs> You've been a blessing to me. You've done so many different things for us. And I just want to say, to be on the other side of it, I'm grateful to be a part of, of a church that takes care of people. And I want to encourage us and admonish us that we're not there yet. We need to do better. Not, not for us. I'm saying for others sitting around you right now. We need to do better. This word fellowship is about interdependence, that we're all in this together. It's, it's explained a little bit in verses 44 and 45. Look there with me. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, now before you get too weirded out by this, it's not talking about communal living. It's not a bunch of hippies in, in flower pants and stuff putting their stuff together. It's, it's the believers were together, meaning they were united. There was unity and harmony. Not that they had everything in common in that there was a common pot. It was that everyone was willing to sacrifice for anybody who had a need. So occasionally, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. It doesn't say that's a command that everybody needs to do that, but it said there was a willingness that if someone was in need, other people would even if they needed to sell property to help meet that need. That was how they rolled. That was how God was moving in their midst. So here we see a church taking care of people who are in need. If you were here a number of weeks ago, we brought um, a lady from, from Cornerstone, Roberta, up. And we interviewed Roberta because she was going to Africa. And so we commissioned her, we prayed over her, and, and she told us this story. And some of us were like, wow. She said, I sold everything, well, almost everything, got a little bit that she put in one suitcase. She packed her bag. She jumped on a plane. She went to Kenya, Africa, where she is just like, I don't know how long I'm going to be there. It's a one-way ticket. I'll come back when I come back. And we commissioned her and just heard her story where she just said, God led me to do this. God put it on my heart. And um, I love modern technology, so I went on Facebook to check up on her and see how she's doing. And just yesterday, she posted this. A friend had written to her and said, "I, I miss you. And this is what she wrote back. I miss you too. I am where God wants me. Every day is a miracle here with the children. They have so much trauma in their past, but so much love and joy now. And I just thought, that's exactly what the scriptures are talking about here. It's not the, like what you do. It's not do you have to pack everything and go? It's not what you do, it's why are you doing it. It's the heart behind it. And the heart behind what's going on in the New Testament, what's going on in Roberta, is they saw a need and they were moved to act. So it's not about what you do, but it's about are you sensitive to the needs that are around you? Are you in this place where, where you're coming to Cornerstone, let's say specifically, but life in general, where it's not about you and it's not about all the stuff that you have been blessed with because you realize I've been blessed to be a blessing and I want to help others. I want to meet needs. I want to, I want to be able to, to help in times of need. And We've got these opportunities sometimes that, that I just think are amazing. You just saw a video on CSTV for the angel tree. And, and the testimony that was heard, that little boy saying, I, I came to know Jesus because you guys reached out and you gave through the angel tree project uh, project at Christmas, and I came to know Jesus through that. The, the representative from the Chandler district that, that just said, thank you, Cornerstone, for partnering with us. I'm like, that's what it's about. And you have the opportunity as you leave today, the angel tree is the first booth on the patio set up there. You can help out. I was talking to Marty McIntyre, our missions director, and, and just talking about second Saturday, the second Saturday of every single month for four years we send about 100 people out for three hours to serve, and we've been doing that month after month after month for four years. Do you know how many hours that is? What an investment to our community, meeting the needs of the people who are around us. You have an opportunity to meet the need of someone around you tonight at 7 o'clock. PFR, they're, they're, they're together just for this event. Patrick, who's playing bass over here, Patrick's 
a worship leader at Portico Church in Queen Creek. It's just north of Mexico out there. And, and, and Portico is one of our sister churches, and we've, we've got good friends over there at Portico. And this week, Patrick and I were sharing our stories and, and me, just our journey and him, their journey. And um, he was saying how Portico has rallied around their family and helped out. And, and I was sharing how Cornerstone had for us. Um, my wife, Holly, and I uh, got to go to the hospital just after Samuel had his transplant and spent a little bit of time with Samuel and, and Heather's mom. But there's, just a, there's a family in our midst, one of our sister churches in need. And you have this opportunity to come tonight to this free concert. You can give a donation. You can buy art. There's a little auction going out there on the patio where you can invest and you can help somebody who's in need. And it's a declaration saying, this is not about me. I'm not blessed for my own benefit. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And it's a way of demonstrating gratitude to God by blessing others. Third, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Third, they devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Sometimes in Scripture, breaking of bread is a reference to communion, but not always. It may simply refer to eating a meal together, which seems to be the case here. Um, there's an explanation in verse 46 that we'll, just, we'll read in just a second. Um, I'm from the south, so we would probably not call it breaking bread. We would say breaking biscuits would be better. But when I was growing up, this word fellowship, koinonia, was, was used all the time. And, and in our context, we had a fellowship hall. That basically meant a place where you ate. So classes would go have fellowship nights. And all that meant was time to eat, time to, time to get. I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church, and so we had an official bird. It was the fried chicken. And so we just had this, this culture where, where fellowship equaled eating. And, and you know what? It's not all wrong. That's not all off. You just have to get that first part right first. It's interdependence. It's not just sharing a meal together. It's first sharing our lives together. And here's the problem. In a church this size, it's really easy to sneak in and sneak out. It's really easy to just blend in with the crowd and get out of here. But it is impossible to experience all that God has for you all by yourself. And God calls us to be connected. He calls us into community, into fellowship. And we've got to be devoted to it. We've got to make the effort. We've got to make ourselves available to do that. So breaking bread explanation is given in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This didn't continue. This was a time now. We're not going to start seven days a week service at Cornerstone come every day. It, it was just for a specific time. So shortly after this, they began meeting one day a week. But they continued to meet. And this is the same word in verse 42. It's just a reminder. They were devoted. They were persistent. They were steadfast in doing this. And, and just let me talk about one phrase in verse 46. It says, to meet together. This is an interesting Greek phrase. Um, let me just read this definition because it's so good. It's used uh, 10 of the 12 times in the New Testament in the book of Acts. It helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. It's a, it's a word, a compound word. The first part of it meaning to rush along and the second part in unison, to rush along in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, which while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. 
as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. Here's the picture. You're at, an, you're at a symphony. You're, you're watching this orchestra play, and there's all these different people with different instruments, different gifts. And some of them are playing different notes, but the notes are in harmony, and together there is unity. And the conductor, the grand conductor, stands up there and begins to wave his arms, and they engage He's saying the picture of the local church is very similar to that because we being different with different gifts and different talents under the guidance of God work together to be a people, to be something that we could never be on our own. And that's the call that God has for us. Eating together meals was a very special part of this Eastern uh, culture. And they would invite people into their home, and there was special significance with that as well. There is in our society, you you don't just have somebody around your table, somebody over for dinner, and just talk about the weather. It's, it's, It's breaking beyond superficial conversations, and it's getting to know someone. These men and women of this culture would be very surprised, I think, to see us in the way that we live our lives today. They'd be very surprised to see us drive into our neighborhoods, pull into the garage, and not get out of our car until the garage door hits the ground so that we don't have to see our neighbors. They would be very surprised at our walled backyard so we keep our neighbors from prying in on our own business. They would probably be very surprised to see us do all of our banking at an ATM or online, get our gas at the pump so we don't have to deal with people. They would probably look at us and say, you are incredibly isolated. And for a lot of us, that's that's exactly right. But their lives were so interconnected. It wasn't about the individual. It was about who we are together. The fourth fourth thing, we've got to hurry. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, fourthly, to prayer. Here, most likely, it's describing not individual prayers, but corporate prayers. These people just came out of the Jewish context. They're going to the temple for prayer a few times a, a day. And it's talking about the spiritual environment of this community. The dependence on God in prayer cannot be overestimated. And of course it can't. The disciples, these these apostles are the ones around Jesus. When Jesus told them to their face, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus encouraged them to pray bold, to expect him to do great things. And they did just that. And in verse 47 of Acts 2, it says that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That word added is not just a simple multiplication number. It literally can mean the Lord established, the Lord put in place. I think he's saying more here than just people started coming to know God. I think he's saying God arranged it. God ordered it and established it. Literally in the Greek, it says this, he added to the church. So I believe there's an element here where where Luke is writing and he's saying God is calling people not just into his family to be Christians. He's also calling people into a local church community. And I would say He still does the same things today. He calls us to community. He calls us to be together. He calls us to a local church. And we need to be sensitive and listen. And when he calls us to be a part of church, that's not just so that we can go and sit in a purple chair and get out. It's so that we can go and contribute, participate, fellowship, be devoted to what he's doing. 
And I want to be a part of this kind of church where needs are met, where the Word of God is being taught and shared and lived out among its people, where there's praising and awe and celebration and wonders going on. A few of us um, on staff here, we went to a conference a couple of months ago. And there was a man named Wes Stafford, and he's the president of Compassion International. And he shared this story about he was in Soto, Ethiopia. And in the midst of a, of a persecution of the church that was going on there, the church, um, they had to meet in secret. And so the pastor described it, if they would go to these desolate places, um, and they would pick nights where the moon was not full in the sky because that was too much light. They could be found out. They had to meet in secret. And so this pastor um, had a ministry, basically, of preaching funerals for Christians who died. And it was highly, highly illegal. And the authorities told him to stop it time after time. And this pastor basically said, how can I not give them the burial that they desire? And so he kept on doing it. So one day officials just came and arrested him and they threw him in prison. And he said, hey, while I'm here, might as well preach to the prisoners. So he started to preach to the prisoners. And they're like, oh, what do we do with this guy? So they said, we're going to make a public spectacle of him. So they decided to gather in the town square and they set up, they rigged this electrocution device in the middle of the town square to make an example of him, to warn other Christians, don't you do this. They hooked the pastor up to the electricity. They threw the switch and all of a sudden power in the whole entire town shut off. They blew some kind of circuit. The man's sitting there totally fine. They're like, oh, throw him back into prison. So he's back in prison and he's thinking, okay, while I'm here, might as well preach to the prisoners. So here he goes again, preaching to the prisoners. And they're like, all right, we'll get you tomorrow. So they fix the circuits and all that kind of stuff. They come back the next morning, strap him in again. Official reaches up and he throws the switch yet again. Town goes black. Blows another circuit. They look at him and they throw their hands up in the air. An official looks at him and says, we don't know what to do with people like you. We don't know what to do with people like you. We can't stop you. And the official in frustration just said, get out of here. I'm tired of dealing with you. So Wes Stafford, this president of Compassion International, somehow encounters this guy as he's leaving town shortly after his attempted electrocution for the second time. And he says, Pastor, where are you going? I have another funeral to preach. And Wes Stafford tells him, he said, Pastor, I just want, I want to let you know, Christians in the West, we are praying for you. And this pastor looks back at him and he says, Mister, I want you to know, I'm praying for you too and your great suffering. And he looks at him, he says, Pastor, what do you mean, our great suffering? You're the one suffering. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm praying for you and your suffering because I'm hearing that you have it so good in America. Some Christians can go a whole day, some a whole week without praying. I'm so sorry, I'm praying for you. You think you have it together all by yourself. You don't have to trust God. I'm praying for you. He said, I'm praying for you because I've heard most of you have many Bibles in your home. He said, we cannot have Bibles. They're confiscated. It's illegal. So the one time I got a Bible, I ripped, the, I ripped it up and I gave members of my congregation chapters of the Bible and I said, memorize this, memorize this, memorize this, memorize this. So when we meet out in the middle of nowhere in the dark of night, we don't have a Bible. I just say, hey, Acts 2, stand up and read. 
He says, I'm praying for you because you have Bibles all around your house and nobody reads them. I'm praying that you won't miss, you won't miss what God has for you. The people in this church here in Ethiopia, they, they, they said this. They said, we have to risk our lives to meet together. Every time we meet together, we risk our lives. But they said this, it's worth it because we need each other. We need each other. We can't do it by ourselves. Don't take what you have for granted. Especially in this kind of season of Thanksgiving, be grateful for what you have, for what God has blessed you with. But in the midst of that gratitude, don't settle. Don't, don't settle for less than what God has. And, I, and my prayer is that through an example of an early church, through an example of a pastor who risks everything for his faith in Christ, that we would say, well, here's a few steps we can take. We can be more devoted to the scriptures and to the cultivation of our personal disciplines with God. We can be more committed and devoted to fellowship. Instead of just seeing it's all about me, I can be, how can I help? What difference can I make? We could be more devoted to, to breaking bread, opening up our homes to, to other people, to interdependence. We could be more devoted to prayer. And we would understand that God is very gracious, God is very kind, but that we would be able to say, God, we want to see what you can do in our midst. We want to be people that people don't know what to do with us, right? That's what I want to, I would love him at my memorial service if people walked out saying, we don't really know what to do with that guy. Something different about him. Can we do this? Just have a moment of prayer. And, and just in the silence of this moment, I want to ask you, on this week of Thanksgiving, would you just, in your own words before God, would you just say thank you? Thank you, God, for fill in the blank. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you most of all for Jesus. And God, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, that we can be free, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have a new life. God, we pray today out of this gratitude that we would understand it also means it's not just me, it's not just my desires in my life. You've called us into community, you've called us into fellowship. And God, I pray that we would begin to let down the walls, let down the excuses, God. I pray that some of us would just, we know, we know what you've been calling us to do, to serve, to, to get involved, to meet a need of somebody that's around us. Today would be the day that we respond. We don't hold back any longer. God, I pray that this church, that this place specifically would be a place where you begin to move and we are filled with awe and wonder and see the power 
of your gospel take root in this place like never before and people changed and set free and marriages restored like never before. And God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and with your power and others would look at us and say, we don't know what to do with those people. But we know they love Jesus and we know they love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to come. We have a time of worship through giving our offerings and our tithes.